Well, I want you to think about the last time uh, you asked somebody, can you hold this for me? Uh, when was the last time you said that to someone? You, you said, hey, could you hold this? Uh, maybe uh, your hands were full and you handed something over or something was too heavy or you had something kind of that you didn't want to drop and you handed it to someone. Just think, think back. When, when is the last time or when, when's the time that you said, can you hold this for me? Most mornings when I'm walking Jillian up to school, uh, I'll be zipping my coat or, or I'll want to zip my coat and I'll, I'll say, hey, Jillian, can, can you hold this for me? And I'll hand her my my coffee cup, and, and uh, I need that coffee in the morning, and so I'll hand it over. My, my hands are too full. I, I have too much uh, here, and I say, hey, take this uh, for me. Uh, just this past week, uh, my son turned 16. Man, where did that time go? Little Jacob, now 16, and, and, and we're preparing for his party, and, and I said to Courtney, hey, can you, you hold that for me? Uh, grab that other end. We, we picked up this uh, super heavy cooler we packed with ice and sodas. It was just kind of uh, too much to handle. The, the, the load was too heavy, and, and I needed her to kind of walk that uh, with me. Uh, I was unloading the dishwasher recently, and, and out of the dishwasher, I pulled this uh, crystal vase. It's this uh, little kind of square thing, and I remember uh, it sat at the head table at our wedding and our reception, and, and it held these flowers, and, and I handed it to Cameron to put away. I said, hey, can you hold this and put that, put that away over there? It's super precious to me. I, I wanted her to kind of hold it, not drop it, and, and take it over uh, and put it up on our cupboard. The, the passage ends with, Kind of the whole crux of what the Lord wants from us and, and what we really want from the Lord, which says this in verse 19. Therefore, in verse 19 of chapter 4, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls. Can you hold this for me? Entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. In that moment of suffering, uh, when things are hard, uh, might we be uh, the kind of people who say, Lord, would, would you hold me in this time? I, I take my soul, uh, uh, hold me. I got all these things going on and I can't handle this little piece of me or that aspect of my life. Would, would you take it and, and take hold of me in this? Uh, uh, man, this is just too heavy to carry alone, Father. Would, would you carry this? For me, would you hold me in this? God, uh, this is what is most precious to me. And Father, you are most precious to me. Would, would you hold me now? Suffering does that for us. And it's this opportunity to live out, uh, I think, what the Lord really most and primarily wants from us in our lives, which is simply to say, God, have all of me. I don't even trust myself with me right now. Would you take me? I can't walk this alone right now. Would you carry me? I got all this stuff going on, and this just seems like one thing too many. Would you take hold of me? See, it's what the Lord is after, and it's often what we most need, and it's what Peter commands at the end of this section, which is, therefore entrust your souls to who? A faithful creator while we're doing good. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to kind of take that therefore and back up into the passage and, and look at four reasons of why we ought to entrust ourselves to our God. 
in times of suffering. Now, uh, in 1 Peter, we looked at it in, in chapter 1 particularly, and there's kind of these various trials of many kinds, and there's this umbrella of suffering in our life, maybe because the world is broken, or, or our own sinfulness even sometimes, or the sinfulness of others, and, and we say, man, it's broken, this world is broken, and we have these various trials of many kinds, and certainly we ought to say, Lord, I entrust myself to you in those times, but, but this passage, it's not talking about kind of various trials of many kinds. This passage is talking about when we suffer because we are Christians. This passage is talking about when trials come on us because of our faith in Christ uh, and because of our Savior, we are suffering. And, and in those moments, he says, still hold on and trust yourself to the faithful creator God who is your Savior and who is with you. And so we'll look at four reasons uh, in which to... Trust our God when suffering comes, uh, even because of Him and our relationship with Him. Four reasons to entrust our souls to the living God. First reason is this. The suffering will sing. The suffering now uh, will sing. Verse 12 and 13. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. The suffering today will sing into all of eternity. The first thing Peter says is, beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you. Here's how I think, though, he would probably write this passage to us. Brothers and sisters, the Wild Community Church, I'm so surprised that you're not suffering more than you ought to. I think that's probably what he would say to us. See, there was a time in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s and the 80s when, man, it was cool to be a Christian, right? Like here in America, it was like, oh, wow, you're a Christian. That's pretty cool. What church do you go to is a question you might ask. Like Christianity was on the rise, but, but that's not the case today. When you say I'm a Christian, that doesn't win you any points today. I said uh, to this guy, I met at a bar, I said, hey, what do you do? We're just making chit-chat. And he says, oh, I, I'm a contractor for the government, which is like 85% of people around here. And then and I said, oh, and he goes, well, what do you do? Uh, I said, I'm a pastor. He goes, oh, really? And he just walked away from me. <laughs> Right? When people find out you're a Christian, that you go to church, you read the Bible, unless they're a Christian, one of the few out there, their response is not typically warm. They've lumped you into a certain category, a kind of person that they don't want anything to do with. They've lumped you into uh, an obedience or a lifestyle they don't want any part of. See, I think Peter would probably say, I'm a bit surprised you're not suffering more than you ought are and we ought to look at it, uh, that as a mirror a little bit to say is my life in contrast because of the savior whom i claim is mine or, or is that just about a little prayer i prayed back in fifth grade in sunday school and now my life is no different than everyone else's uh, peter says uh, hey when you became a christian don't get your expectations wrong if you're going to actually follow christ that's going to lead to a whole bunch of suffering which may have been a different bill of sale than somebody gave you when you became a Christian. 
which is when you become a Christian, it's going to get amazing. It's going to be so fun. It's going to be awesome. You're going to have the best purpose in all your life, all the peace in all your life. You're going to get everything good. And, and Peter says, don't you know I was crucified upside down? John says, don't you know I was exiled to Patmos? James, the brother of Jesus, says, don't you know they pushed me off of a roof and threw stones at me when I hit the ground? Peter says to you and to me, if we are actually living, not pursuing suffering, but pursuing our Savior, if we are pursuing our Savior, don't be surprised when the fiery trial comes. Don't be surprised when you don't elevate at work the way you thought you would. Don't be surprised when you lose that friendship or there's tension in your family. Don't be surprised when you live for your Savior. But rejoice. But rejoice, verse 13? What? But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. The suffering will sing. Rejoice when you partake in the sufferings of Christ. Uh, Jesus suffers on the cross that we might be redeemed, be made His sons and daughters, be welcomed into the family. So rejoice when you get to partake in that kind of work of suffering with Him. When you start talking about Him, and people are like, I, I don't want anything to do with that. Actually, I don't want anything to do with you. Rejoice because you are part of the work of restoration and, and, and redemption by proclaiming the good news of Jesus. You are a fellow partaker in his sufferings. You're suffering with him today. But then rejoice, not that you're partaking in his sufferings, but what? That when he's revealed, you will rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. That suffering now actually acts as this kind of stamp of approval that we belong to Christ. Because when we suffer, we say, he's my Savior and I'll give him everything, even this loss. It proclaims that's the fruit of a, a Christian, right? They'll know you're Christians by your love. Or, or, or we've been given the promised Holy seal, uh, Spirit, a seal uh, guaranteeing our inheritance. Or, or from uh, the, the fruit of a tree, you'll know what kind of tree it is. Here Peter says, hey, you know that if you suffer now, it's like a stamp, a seal, that when he comes back, you will rejoice in his glory. In a sense, you and I then validated in our suffering as those who actually belong to Jesus. It says, good as said and done. Rejoice, you are his. Uh, if you turn your Bibles back a little bit to Acts chapter 17, verse, or Acts chapter 15, verses 17 and following, we get the story, uh, sorry, Acts chapter 5, verses 17 and following. Acts chapter 5, verses 17 and following. Get the story of uh, some of Jesus' earliest followers. In Acts chapter 5, verse 17, here, here's what we see. Uh, there's this uh, small band of followers following Jesus, and they're in Jerusalem. In verse 17, the, the high priest, the, the leader of uh, the uh, Jews and Sadducees and Pharisees and all these groups, he, he, he raises up, and, and all who are with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and he's filled with jealousy, and look what happens. And they arrest the apostles and put them in public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life, this new life you have in Christ. 
Uh, and so they go. They, they, they go out to the temple and the, and the square, and they, they just start talking about Jesus again. And in verse 25, and someone came and told them, Look, the men who you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. And so these captains and the officers go out, and they say to him in verse 28, We strictly charged you not to teach in his name. Yet here you fill Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Uh, but Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. And so they say, we're going to share the good news of the gospel uh, no matter what happens to us. And so then this one guy stands up uh, among all the leaders and the, uh, these officers who are going to arrest him, Gamaliel. And he's this kind of uh, famous Pharisee and lawyer. And he starts talking and, he, and he's like, uh, he stands up in verse 37. And after him, Judas the Galilean rose up many days. Uh, he's kind of talking and he's saying, hey, we've had these kinds of insurrections in the past. And then in verse 38, he says this. So in this present case, and he's telling this body, he's going to arrest these followers of Jesus. In this present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For this plan or this undertaking is for man, it'll fail. It will fail. But if it's of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. <laughs> the blood of the martyrs, uh, martyrs will be the seed of the church. You might even be found opposing God, Gamaliel says. So they took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them, and they charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. And then the apostles, this group following Jesus, left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. And every day in the temple, from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that, that the Christ is Jesus, that the anointed one, that the king, the savior who had come is Jesus. Do you see? They're beaten, then they rejoice, and then they keep being bold in their faith. They rejoice because they, they say, we suffer with him now. We, we are a part of his work of restoration and redemption, proclaiming the good news of the gospel. And we know when he comes back, we belong to him. We're going to sing then for all of eternity. The suffering will sing. The second reason that we can entrust our souls to our good God, who's our Savior, is that we suffer with Man, great purpose in the very presence of our God. Verses 14 to 16 read this way. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. We suffer with a purpose in the very presence of our God. Uh, see, Peter here, here says, you know, you're going to suffer for one of two reasons. You're, you're going to suffer because you've got this grand purpose in Christ. You're going to experience the presence and intimacy of Christ. Or, or you're going to suffer because of uh, your own sinfulness and being disobedient as a, a thief or a murderer or, or, or a meddler. Like, you're going to suffer. So do you want to suffer with great purpose in the presence of God? Or do you want to suffer in your own sinfulness as you wander from him? He says, uh, we want to suffer because of the name of Christ, verse 14. If we're insulted, it's for the name of Christ. It's for His glory that we're blessed. 
And then he goes on to say that this is a suffering as a Christian. Uh, we don't have to be ashamed, but we can then glorify God or reveal in God in that name. We can reveal who he is and how much he's worth as we suffer with great purpose for him. See, our highest values are often found on earth, in our car or our friendships or our job or our house or identities here of what we've built for ourselves. And what happens in suffering is we say, he's worth even that. He's worth even that. This is the great purpose of a Christian to say, he is worth everything in my life, in your life too. He's my Savior. He, he provides purpose. He provides security. None of this stuff, I'm not entrusting myself here. He is the one worthy of everything. This is the purpose in which we live and which suffering comes upon us. We, we, we don't suffer without purpose. We suffer with the greatest purpose in all the world. And when that occurs, look at what Peter says. When we suffer for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Why? Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. I love it. <laughs> the spirit of our God, uh, of all the glories of heaven, like the dove at Jesus' baptism comes down to rest and be with us. God himself rests upon us. The parallel passage for Peter when he talks about suffering uh, comes in chapter 1, verse 6 of 1 Peter. We've gone through it earlier in the series, but I want to hear it again that we might see how the passage ends uh, with great purpose and, man, deep intimacy. Chapter 1, verse 6 of Peter says it this way. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, it's more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire. It might be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus. Hey, you're going to suffer now, but you're going to sing then. Uh, though you have not seen him, you love him. Do you hear it? Though you've not yet seen him, you love him. There's this new intimacy, this depth of relationship as you suffer with him and for him. He descends and your love for him increases. He meets you in that moment. Though you do not see him now, you believe even more in him and you rejoice with a joy that's inexpressible. You're being filled with glory. You're obtaining the, uh, the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I love the intimate language. We love him. Our hope's in him. We have joy in him. He draws us close. That's what happens in suffering. All the things we hold and, and fill our lives with, he say, man, uh, you can take that. I, I want my Savior. And the heaviness, he, he holds it with us, and we say, I'm so glad I'm not walking this alone. We hand over the most precious pieces of our life to him in suffering, and he meets us there. His, his spirit rests with us and descends on us. We suffer with great purpose in the very presence of God, and there's deep intimacy. There is great purpose. I, I want us to see this happen again in the book of Acts, uh, that it might be a reality even in our own lives. In Acts chapter 7, just a few chapters later, and probably a few weeks later, uh, right in Jerusalem still, uh, another one of Jesus' earliest followers, Stephen, kind of takes out on the work of following Christ and talking about him everywhere he goes. So he's in Jerusalem still, and 
And he's standing before probably that same group that arrested Peter and those other apostles. And, and he stands up in front of him in the high priest, chapter 7, verse 1 of Acts. And the high priest said, are these things so? And Stephen kind of launches into this explanation of the whole scriptures, Old Testament to New. And he goes through Abraham and he says, you know, every time one of God's people starts telling you about his plan and how he's going to provide a savior, what you do is you persecute him and you kill him. <laughs> so he says, Abraham, you did it there. Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, down into verse 9. He says, you did it there too. Moses, man, you cast him out. You, you shamed him. You didn't want him to be a part of the work that God was doing in, in rescuing you from slavery. He says, every time. Then he gets to the kings and David and down in verse 45. And then he goes right to God. He starts talking about God in verse 48 and what God is up to in this very moment that Stephen is living in as the Savior Jesus has come. In verse 48 of chapter 7, Stephen says that, Yet the Most High doesn't dwell in houses made by hands, as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord, or what is the place of my rest? Do, did not my hand make all these things? You stiff-necked people, he says. Uncircumcised in your heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? In a sense, he's saying, we're in a long line of the persecuted. And they killed those that announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, Jesus, whom you've now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by the angels and did not keep it. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven. Do you see the intimate moment that's about to occur? Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, descended on him, right? God himself with him in this moment. Gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice. They stopped up their ears. They rushed at him together. They cast him out of the city. They stoned him. The witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit, echoing the, the very words of his Savior in that intimate moment with great and grand purpose in the very kinds of suffering as his Savior partook. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. We suffer with great purpose in the very intimate presence of our God. And if you've suffered for Christ, you've felt it. Uh, but often, and I think it's uh, fitting that we would discern the reasons why we suffer, right? Sometimes we just get this all mixed up. And we, uh, we suffer because of our own stupidity or our own sin or our own foolishness, right? <laughs> we have to discern our suffering, you know, verse 15 says that you, you could suffer with great uh, purpose, grand purpose for Christ and, and intimately with Christ. But, man, you could also suffer because of your own sinfulness or stupidity. Verse 15, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. I love that he puts meddler in there because certainly they must have been meddling. That doesn't quite fit in the affairs of all the others around them. But but, but in this, it sometimes like it's our own fault. Uh, murder, even let's take that one. Well, hopefully uh, we don't have any murders in there. Maybe we do, and by the grace of God, I'm so glad you're here. 
But here, when, when Jesus talks about murder, he says, you know what causes such relational strife in your life? Your own sinfulness, your own stupidity, your anger, or refusal to forgive those around you, or you slander, or you gossip those around you, and then you say, oh man, these non-Christians are persecuting me in my relationship, when really you've slandered them, or you've judged them, or you've acted foolishly around them, or behind them, and it's your own dang fault, <laughs> or my own dang fault. He says, oh, don't, don't suffer like that and blame that on me. Don't suffer as a thief. What gets us in so much strife and suffering and, and turmoil here? You know, sometimes uh, we, we covet what someone else has in such a way that, that we compare our lives with them. We, we get in this, oh, woe is me state. And, and then uh, maybe even some of us take that step of trying to steal that from them in some sort of way. And, and, and isn't this the source of so much suffering in our life? Suffering that we have induced on ourselves. This comparison with others and having to get what they have, or man, if Lord, if you would only provide this job or that house or that relationship, then I could have joy. But no, instead, they get it all, and, and, and I'll take from them or I'll slander them. Or, and, and this kind of uh, comparison, us versus them, brings us suffering in our life. Well, it's not the Lord's fault, that's your own fault, my own fault. Or meddler, man, I love that one. Why do you meddle? Why do I meddle and get involved in affairs that we ought not to get involved in? Why? Because we've got to control. We've got to get control of our life and our surroundings, get security in our life, and, and get that certain bank account or that, that certain neighborhood or, or get my kid in that certain thing or get that relationship or whatever. i got to grab a hold of this. Lord, why do you persecute me? When really we're just running around in our lives trying to control everything and the people around us. And that's creating lots of strife. Peter says there's lots of bad reasons to suffer and you ought to be discerning in your own suffering. You may even be, you know, we're so silly. How dare you tell me to wear a mask? You're persecuting me. No, that's not suffering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, the next one. The seriousness of our salvation. Uh, another reason to entrust our souls to the good and gracious God is the seriousness of our salvation and the salvation that's at stake. Uh, here's where Peter goes next. It's a daunting verse, verse 17. He says, For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? The seriousness of salvation. This is what, what suffering does is it, it pulls the curtain up on the beginning of the play of all of eternity. Uh, because in our suffering, and, and notice what Peter says here, that the, the, the judgment is going to begin at the household of God. And he's kind of taking this allusion from the Old Testament in Malachi chapter 3, verses 1 to 3, and Zechariah chapter 13, verse 9. In Malachi chapter 3, 1 to 3, and, and Zechariah 13, verse 9, this image comes of the, the fiery judgment of God coming onto earth and, and even kind of uh, bringing judgment on his own people first and then to the nations. 
Now what Peter's going to do, he's going to kind of twist that a little bit or use that in a different kind of way to say, judgment now is uh, uh, beginning with the people of God. And and what did we say judgment was in this circumstance? That, That as we suffer, what is being revealed is we belong to him and in all of eternity we're going to sing in his glory welcomed in his sons and daughters. So Peter's saying, judgment, the curtain is being pulled up now, and it's terrible. We're suffering now, and, but it's nothing compared to the eternal suffering of those who, who reject and do not believe in the good news of the gospel, who will not sing when he returns, but instead will be crushed when he returns. It's sobering. Suffering, beginning with a judge, uh, beginning with the household of God, for us says, as we suffer, we are saved. But for those around us, as they persecute, it says, as we suffer, they will be condemned. It ought to humble us and make us more loving and more kind and more bold. The seriousness of salvation is revealed in the suffering that begins with us and but woe, man, woe to those who do not obey the good news of the gospel and receive Christ. And, uh, you know, if the, the righteous are scarcely saved and kind of echoes of, of the wide is the path of destruction, but narrow is the path that leads to salvation or, or, or entering through the eye of a needle and how hard that is even to hold on through suffering. If, if the righteous are scarcely saved, there are few of us who trust in Christ. Oh, woe to those who reject and do not obey the gospel. Suffering highlights the seriousness of salvation and eternity. And lastly, in verse 19, right where we began, and therefore point us all back up to these four re- three reasons, here's the fourth. The very character of our God compels us to trust Him. The very character of our God compels us to trust Him. Listen to how his character is embedded in this command. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to who? To a faithful creator while doing good. To a faithful creator. To one who is faithful and loving and always here for our ultimate good. To one who, who we can trust because he is good. But he's not just, he's not just loving and faithful and good. He, he's also creator and mighty and king and able. So when he allows us to suffer for him, he says, Oh, would you remember that I am so good and loving? And would you remember that I am able, creator, to hold you now in this and carry you into all of eternity? Entrust your soul to me. You can almost hear him say, Do not entrust your soul to the things that cause you to hide from suffering. Do not entrust your soul to the things that cause us to hide from our suffering. See, why do we hide from suffering? Because, gosh, we don't want to lose our job. If I don't have job, I don't have security or validation. I've entrusted my soul here, so if I shake up my foundations here, by living for Jesus with excellence and creativity and sharing when he gives me opportunities. I won't have those things. 
I don't want to lose these friendships. I, I need these friendships. These people make me, me. And they say, you're good, you're funny, you're kind. We want to hang out with you. you we'll embrace you. You're not alone. And, and God says, don't entrust yourself to the things that cause you to hide from suffering for me. Yourself and your own ability to build up your comforts and your securities on your own and your own bank accounts. See, the question for us this morning is, are we going to be the kind of people that get to enjoy the depth of knowing our Savior and also get to see Him be made known through us? As, as we suffer sharing the good news of Christ, well, what's going to happen is, is our neighbors or a co-worker or a friend or a family member, they may come to know Christ, and we'll get to see eternity touch earth even through our lives and our sharing. We'll say, praise our God who is worthy, is a Savior, is faithful and good. And then also we're going to suffer and in our suffering, we can sing because we know we belong to Him for all of eternity. In our suffering, we, we, we know that we're living for greater purposes and deeper intimacy. In our suffering, we know that, that eternal things have occurred because the good news that, that brings all of eternal salvation has been shared, and it might actually bring someone to life. And in our suffering, man, we know more and more the character and nature of our God. I get this email uh, from ICC every week. ICC is the International Christian Concern, a group of international Christian concern. They, they uh, support and they track, they care for the persecuted church all over the world, doing amazing work. They're, uh, a good friend of mine is, is the president, and, and he's connected here at the church. He's just doing amazing work uh, among thousands of believers that are being persecuted. If you're looking at a place to give money for good purposes, this is it. ICC is fantastic. Um, that, and he didn't even ask me to make that plug. It's just that good. And, yeah, but he writes out real time what's going on all around the world. I met with church leaders in China, this is what he says, who shared their incredible perspective on persecution. While they admitted that persecution was not a gift of their choosing, they said it indeed was a gift. They explained that without it, the church would figuratively be a mile wide and an inch deep. They even went so far as to express their concerns that the next generation of church leaders in China hadn't experienced the same level of persecution as those before them. You, you get what they're saying? They're saying the, the church here may be uh, a mile wide and an inch deep because they're not suffering. Man, we in the American church uh, live our lives for comfort and not to suffer. While we don't wish the pain of persecution on anyone, the refining power that it has on the church is undeniable. Thank you for standing with our brothers and sisters in China and around the world as they walk through seasons of suffering. And he was telling me of this before I read this next one. He's telling me, uh, they, ICC, jumped in when, remember uh, all those men who were beheaded by ISIS on the beach? ICC jumped in to give them homes, uh, their families' homes and, and food and carry them and protect their families through that time. He writes this uh, just recently of a family in Gaza. Rami and Pauline operated a Christian bookstore in the Gaza Strip. One day on his way home from work, Rami was ambushed and killed by a group of Muslim extremists. Grieving the loss of her husband and newly forced into her role as breadwinner, Pauline felt like she was suffocating. 
Over time, God began to work a miracle in her heart to the point where she was finally able to forgive her husband's murderers. From a worldly perspective, it looked like her life had crumbled, but over time, she was able to thank God even for the trials she had faced. May we have the faith to live like that. Look, guys, we we don't pursue suffering. We don't say, I want to suffer, give me suffering. We pursue Christ. But when we do, like Peter says, we ought to expect that suffering will come. There's there's story after story story here. I, I, I looked back at my own life to say, man, what's this look like in my own life? Like, I'm a pastor, and I ought to be suffering for the Lord, and... And I look back, and I felt like sometimes I've been kind of bold about who I was as a believer in college and other times, and even high school. And Here's what suffering looked like. In high school or college, uh, I was on the lacrosse team, um, secular school, just trying to share the good news of uh, Jesus with these folks. And so, so I'm sharing with them, and, and they kind of like nudge me, make fun of me. I didn't drink enough or do this or that or do these other things, and and so they nicknamed me Ned Flanders. I don't know if you know Ned Flanders from The Simpsons. He was the nerdy uh, priest on there who kind of always got made fun of. That was suffering. I remember that I, I, I was a, an English teacher at uh, Brook Point High School. I, I taught English there a couple years, and um, I was there, and I, you know, I didn't, I didn't ever stand up in front of the classroom and say, hey, I want to tell you about Jesus. I, I don't think we should do that. I don't, I don't want someone else standing up in front of the classroom and teaching a different kind of religion in front of the classroom, right? But, but I did say, hey, if you're ever interested in kind of my lifestyle or, or how I've organized my life around Jesus and I was allowed to do this, uh, then, hey, I'd love to have pizza. We'll have pizza after school. You're, you're welcome to come. And, and we did all the stuff within, uh, you know, the American Lit um, um, a curriculum and got to do Jonathan Edwards and uh, these other folks and kind of talk about uh, God in there and, and these other things. And, and then one, one day I thought, oh, it'll be cool. I'm going I'm to put these letters in all the teachers' mailboxes, just inviting them to a Bible study, you know? And so I, I put these letters in saying, hey, if you want to do a Bible study on, on how that uh, my Christian faith impacts teaching and how it might impact yours, I welcome you to it. And so I put them all in all the teachers' mailboxes and I literally got called into the principal's office about it. And she brings me in. She goes, Matt, you can't do that. I said, okay. She said, you can do the Bible study. You just can't put it in all the teacher's mailboxes. I said, okay, great. Thanks. Now, look, those are like nothing in comparison, right, to what is happening all over the world. And it's even happening here as people stand up for their faith. But And, and when I think about it in light of who Christ is and what he's done, it's even less. But, but here's what I'll tell you. Even in those moments, I was closer to my Savior. I tasted a joy of being a part of his eternal work. Even as they kind of made fun of me or my principal told me you can't do that, I, I, I enjoyed a little bit of who Christ is and what he was doing through me. And, I, and that's what is open to all of us and deeper and more when we pursue Jesus and come what may. To live boldly with the good news of the gospel. Because our Savior is worth it, and He will draw near in these times. And when we suffer, we know we will sing, and we live for grand purpose in His intimate presence. And all of eternity touches earth in those moments. And God, our God, is so worthy and trustworthy in His character. As we enter our time of communion, as we do every week, to really look upon our Savior and what He's done for us in that moment, just like Stephen, when he hangs on a cross and he says, Father, forgive them, and he suffers for us. 
I want us to think about Peter. You know, he writes this letter. Well, this is the same Peter who ran away from suffering. This is the same Peter who looked at the other disciples and said, I'm out of here. <laughs> See, as, as Jesus went to the cross, Peter, Peter says, I'm gone. He, he runs away and his cloak is grabbed by one of the soldiers that, that are uh, going to crucify Jesus. And, and Peter's so scared, so terrified, he runs away naked says it in Mark chapter 14. He's a coward in that moment. He goes and hides for three days. But then, then Jesus is resurrected. And he meets him and he sits with him and he talks to him. And here's what Peter realizes. This one who suffered and died can carry me on into glory. He truly is the Savior. He's the one who's worthy of my suffering. He's the one who has mended all of eternity and welcomes me in as his son for all of eternity. Certainly now, I, I won't run from suffering. I will suffer for him. He is worth it. I'll suffer for him because salvation is found in him. I'll suffer for him because I know he is mighty and he is good. He knew the resurrected Lord. It got him crucified upside down. The same Savior that got John exiled to Patmos where he would die. Paul uh, killed and executed in Rome. James, the, the brother of Jesus, thrown off a roof and stoned. All why? Because they know, man, he's worth it. He's worth it. And he can bring salvation to this one who's persecuting me now. And man, I want them to be saved. Man, I want them to be saved. So if you're trusting in Christ this morning, would you come again and gaze at your Savior and all He's done for you. He died and He's risen to give you newness of life and a great purpose in which to live. And He'll meet you when you suffer for that purpose. And if you're not trusting in Christ this morning, would you cling to Him? Would you receive His grace? All of eternity is at stake. Would you cling to the forgiveness He's offered you in Christ? Let's take and eat together and remember who our Savior is and what He's done. Take